0: Section 29 of The Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 9, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mary Beatrice of Modena, Chapter 8, Part 3. The Earl of Manchester, in his private report of these visits of Louis the Fourteenth to the sorrowful court of Saint-Germain, and his promises to the Queen and her dying husband, in behalf of their son, mentions the resignation of king james and then speaking of the prince his son says i can tell you that the moment king james dies the other will take the title of king of england and will be crowned as such by those of st germain the french king is now at marley and at his return he goes to fontainebleau so it may easily be contrived not to see the P, that is the prince till his return the queen will be in a convent at Chalot, till the king be buried, and the p or the prince at the Duke of Lauzun's at Paris, and after that they will return to Saint Germain. I doubt not, but the French will call him Roy d'Angleterre. September Fourteenth. It was expected that King James would have died last night, but he was alive this morning, though they expected he will expire every moment, being dead almost up to his stomach and he is sensible of no pain. James retained, however, full possession of his mental faculties, and when his son entered his chamber, which was not often permitted, because it was considered to occasion too much emotion in his weak state, he stretched out his arms to embrace him and said, I have not seen you since his most Christian majesty was here, and promised to own you when I should be dead. I have sent Lord Middleton to Marley to thank him for it. The same day, the Duke and Duchess of Burgundy came to take their last leave of him, when he spoke with composure to both, and begged that the Duchess would not approach the bed, fearing it might have an injurious effect on her health. We have been, writes the Earl of Manchester, September 16th, ever since Tuesday, expecting to hear of the death of the late king, his greatest distemper is now a lethargy, and he is often thought dead, though with cordials they keep him up the king of france was that day to see him and there declared publicly that he would own the p the prince for king of england and ordered the captains of the guards to pay him the same honours that they did to the late king james the duke of berwick who was an attendant on the deathbed of his royal father james the second says that he remained in a lethargic state except when roused by stimulants His sight was weakened, but sense and consciousness remained with him unimpaired, to his last sigh. Never, continues Berwick, was there seen more patience, more tranquility, and even joy, than in the feelings with which he contemplated the approach of death and spoke of it. He took leave of the queen with extraordinary firmness, and the tears of this afflicted princess did not shake him, though he loved her tenderly. He told her to restrain her tears reflect said he to her "that i am going to be happy and forever mary beatrice told him that the nuns of Chalot were desirous that he should bequeath his heart to their community to be placed in the same tribune with that of their royal foundress queen henrietta his mother and her own when it may please god to shorten the term of their separation by calling her hence james thanked her for reminding him of it He gave Mary Beatrice some directions about their son, and requested her to write to the princess Anne, his daughter, when he should be no more, to assure her of his forgiveness, and to charge her on his blessing, to endeavor to atone to her brother for the injuries she had done him. Soon after, his hands began to shake with a convulsive motion, and the pangs of death came visibly upon him. His confessor and the bishop of Autun told the queen, that she must withdraw, as they were about to offer up the services of their church for a departing soul, and that the sight of her agony would disturb the holy serenity which God had shed upon the heart of the king. She consented, as a matter of conscience, to tear herself away, but when she kissed his hands for the last time, her sobs and sighs roused the king from the lethargic stupor in which exhausted nature had sunk and troubled him. Why is this? said he tenderly to her are you not flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone are you not a part of myself how is it then that one part of me should feel so differently from the other i in joy and you in despair my joy is in the hope i feel that god in his mercy will forgive me my sins and receive me into his beatitude and you are afflicted at it i have long sighed for this happy moment and you know it well cease then to lament for me i will pray for you farewell this touching adieu took place four and twenty hours before james breathed his last they forbade the queen to enter the chamber again though he asked for her every time he awoke mary beatrice being informed of this implored so passionately the evening before his death to be permitted to see him once more promising not to allow anything to escape her That should have the effect of agitating him, that she was permitted to approach his bed. She struggled to feign a composure that she was far from feeling. But James, although his eyes were now waxed over and his ear dull, perceived the anguish of her soul, and when she asked him if he suffered, replied, I suffer, but it is only because I see how much you suffer. I should be well content if you were less afflicted, or could take some share in my happiness she asked him to request of god for her the grace of love and perfect resignation to his will they compelled her to withdraw and she passed the awful interval in fasting watching and prayer alone in her chamber when all was over her confessor father ruga came to see her no one else venturing to announce to her the fact that her husband had breathed his last even he shrank from the task of telling her so in direct words but requesting her to unite with him in offering up some prayers for the king he commenced with subvenite Sancte dei oh my god is it then done exclaimed the queen throwing herself upon the ground in an agony of grief for she knew too well that this was part of the office appointed by their church for a soul departed and pouring out a torrent of tears she remained long unable to utter a word father ruga exhorted her to resign herself to the will of god and in token of her submission to his decrees to say fiat voluntas tua thy will be done mary beatrice made an effort to obey her spiritual director but at first she could only give utterance to the word fiat the blow though it had so long impended over her was hard to bear for in spite of the evidences of her own senses to the contrary, she had continued to cherish a lingering hope that the separation might yet be delayed, and she scarcely knew how to realize the fact that it was irrevocable. As there never was a more perfect and more Christian union than that which subsisted between this king and queen, which for many years had been their mutual consolation, says a contemporary who was well acquainted with them both so there was never a more bitter sorrow than was felt by her though her resignation was entire and perfect king james departed this life at 3 o'clock in the afternoon he died with a smile on his countenance the bitterness of death had long been past and he had requested that his chamber door might be left without being guarded so that all who wished to take a last look of him might freely enter his apartments were crowded with both english and french of all degrees and his curtains were always open the moment after he had breathed his last says the duke of berwick we all went to the prince of wales and saluted him as king he was the same hour proclaimed at the gates of the chateau of st germain by the title of james the third king of england scotland ireland and france The Earl of Manchester affirms that there was no other ceremony than that the Queen waited on him and treated him as King. What was done in town, continues His Excellency, was done in a tumultuous manner. Some say there was a herald, an Irishman. Lord Middleton, etc., did not appear, because they could not tell how the title of France would be taken here, had they done it in form. Lord Middleton brought the seals to him which he gave him again, others did the like, i am told that before the french king made this declaration he held a council at marley where it took up some time to debate whether he should own him or no or if he did whether it ought not to be deferred for some time the secret of all this matter is that in short there was a person who governs here who had some time since promised the queen that it should be done so that whatever passed in council was only for form's sake when the royal widow came in compliance with the ceremonial which their respective positions prescribed to offer the homage of a subject to her boy she said to him sir i acknowledge you for my king but i hope you will not forget that you are my son and then wholly overpowered by grief she was carried in a chair from the apartment and so conveyed to her coach which was ready to take her to the convent at Chalot, where she desired to pass the first days of her widowhood in the deepest retirement, declaring that she would not receive the visits or the compliments of any person whatsoever. Mary Beatrice left Saint-Germain about an hour after her husband's death, attended by four ladies only, and arrived at Chalot a quarter before six, the conventual church of shillow having in the meantime been hung with black by the nuns and everything done requisite to testify their respect for the departed king and the royal widow of england their afflicted friend and patroness as soon as the tolling of the bells announced her approach the abbess and all the community went in procession to receive her at the convent gate the widowed queen descended from her coach in silence with her hood drawn over her face followed by her four noble attendants and apparently overwhelmed with the violence of her grief the nuns gathered round her in silence no one offered to speak comfort to her well knowing how tender had been the union that had subsisted between her and her deceased lord the abbess kissed the hem of her robe some of the sisters knelt and embraced her knees and others kissed her hand but no one uttered a single word leaving their tears to express how much they felt for her affliction the tragedy of real life unlike that of the stage is generally a veiled feeling the queen says our authority walked directly into the choir without a sigh a cry or a word like one who has lost every faculty but the power of motion she remained in this mournful silence this stupefaction of grief till one of our sisters it was the beloved francoise angelique priolo approached and kissed her hand said to her in a tone of tender admonition in the words of the royal psalmist my soul will you not be subject to god fiat voluntas tua replied the sorrowful queen in a voice stifled with sighs then advancing toward the choir she said in a firmer tone help me my sisters to thank my god for his mercies to that blessed spirit who is i believe rejoicing in his beatitude yes i feel certain of it in the depth of my grief the abbess told her she was happy in having been the wife of such a holy prince yes answered the queen we have now a great saint in heaven she then conducted into the choir and all the sisters followed her she prostrated herself before the altar and remained long in prayer having eaten nothing since the night before she was so weak that the nuns apprehending she would faint begged her to be carried to her chamber in a chair but out of humility she chose to walk after practising many little fond observances which appeared to have been edifying to the nuns though the reader might be wearied and perhaps offended by the detail the abbesses and two or three of the nuns attended the poor queen to her chamber and entreated her to suffer herself to be undressed and go to bed but she insisted on listening to more prayers and complained bitterly that the solace of tears was denied her she could not weep now she who had wept so much during the prolonged agony of her husband's illness she sighed often says the nun who has preserved the record of this mournful visit of the widow of james the second to the convent of shaleau her sighs were so heavy and frequent that they pierced all our hearts with the share of those pangs that were rending her own. She was seized with fits of dying faintness from the feebleness and exhaustion of her frame. But she listened with great devotion to the abbess, who knelt at her feet, and read to her appropriate passages from the holy scriptures for her consolation. Then she begged the community to offer up prayers for the soul of her husband for, Oh, said she, a soul ought to be very pure that has to appear in the presence of god and we alas sometimes fancy that persons are in heaven when they are suffering the pains of purgatory and at this thought the sealed up fountain of her grief was opened and she shed floods of tears much she wept and much she prayed but was at last prevailed on to take a little nourishment and go to bed while the nuns returned to the choir and sang the vespers for the dead Then the prayers for the dead were repeated in her chamber in which she joined repeating the verses of every psalm for she knew them all by heart she begged that a prayer for the conversion of england might be added for her sake observing for the last twelve years she had been at saint germain she had never omitted that petition at her private evening devotions this little trait will be regarded as an instance of bigotry by many persons but although mary beatrice educated as she was in the strictest tenets of the church of rome placed an undue importance on some things which are not regarded by members of the reformed church as scriptural her prayers being intended as acts of charity and christian piety and therefore ought not to be condemned at seven in the evening the queen sent for her almoner and after she and her ladies had united in their domestic worship for the evening she begged that the writer of this record who was her particular friend and another of the sisters of would remain with her for she saw that her ladies-in-waiting and her femme de chambre were worn out with fatigue and watching and made them all go to bed the nuns read to her from the book of wisdom and the description of the new jerusalem in the apocalypse the occupation of the blessed in that holy city and several other passages from holy writ that were considered applicable to the time and circumstances the queen listened sometimes with sighs and sometimes with elevation of the soul to god and submission to his decrees but her affliction was inconceivable and would scarcely permit her to taste a few moments of repose during the whole of the saturday she continued to pray and weep and from time to time Related the particulars of the illness of the late king her husband and his patients. Never, said her majesty, did the illustrious sufferer give utterance to a word of complaint nor make a gesture of impatience. Although his pains were sharp and lasted more than fifteen days, he accepted his sufferings as the punishment of his sins. He took all the remedies that were prescribed, however disagreeable they might be, observing, that he was willing to live as long as it pleased God's providence to appoint although he desired with ardor to die that he might be united with jesus christ without the fear of offending him any more so entirely was my good king detached from earthly things continued the royal widow that notwithstanding the tenderness i have always had for him and the love he bore to me and the grief that i must ever feel for his loss during the rest of my days i assure you that if i could recall his precious life by a single word i would not pronounce it for i believe it would be displeasing to god after the royal widow had departed from st germain to about six o'clock in the evening the public were permitted to view the body of king james in the same chamber where he died the clergy and monks prayed and chanted the dirge all night altars were erected in the chamber of death where masses were said next morning until noon When the body was opened for embalming, the heart and the brain were found in a very decayed state. James had desired on his deathbed to be simply interred in the church of Saint-Germain, opposite to the chateau, but when his will was opened, it was found that he had therein directed his body to be buried with his ancestors in Westminster Abbey therefore the queen resolved that his obsequies only should be solemnized in france and that his body should remain unburied till the restoration of his son which she fondly hoped would take place and that like the bones of joseph in holy writ the corpse of her royal husband would accompany his children when they returned to the land of their ancestors the body was destined to await this expected event in the church of the benedictines faubourg de saint-jacques paris whither it was conveyed on the saturday after his demise about seven in the evening in a morning carriage followed by two coaches in which were the officers of the king's household his chaplains and the prior and curate of st germain his guard carried torches of white wax around the cortege the obsequies being duly performed in the convent church of the benedictines the body was left under the hearse covered with the pall in one of the chapels so it remained during the long years that saw the hopes of the stuart family wither one after the other till all were gone still the bones of james the second remained unburied awaiting sepulture. but to return to mary beatrice whom we left in her sorrowful retreat at shallot endeavoring to solace her grief by prayers and devotional exercises which are termed by the sister of that community by whom her proceedings have been recorded acts of faith and acts of resignation on the evening of saturday september seventeenth the second day of her widowhood her majesty continues this sympathizing recluse who had watched beside her on the preceding night did me the honor of commanding me to take some repose while sister catherine angelique took my place near her at the second hour after midnight i returned to the queen as soon as she saw me she cried out ha my sister what have i suffered while you were away it is scarcely possible to describe my feelings. I fell asleep for a few moments, but what a sleep it was. It seemed to me as if they were tearing out my heart and rending my bowels, and that I felt the most horrible pains. I made her majesty take some nourishment and read to her the soliloquies in the manual of Saint Augustine, and she slept again for a few moments. Then my sister Catherine Angelique told me that during my absence, her majesty had done nothing but sigh lament and groan and toss from one side of the bed to the other and bemoan herself as if in the greatest pain we who had seen the queen so resigned in the midst of her affliction were surprised at this extreme agitation but continues the simple nun our surprise ceased when they told us privately that the body of the late king had been opened and embalmed at the precise time that the queen was thus disquieted in her sleep the same night they had conveyed his bowels to the english benedictines and his heart to us without any pomp or noise as secretly as possible for fear the queen should hear of it and be distressed our mother had received particular orders on that subject from our king that is louis the fourteenth prohibiting her from either tolling her bells or chanting at the reception of king james's heart within the convent of the visitation of saint-marie de Chalot, lest it should agitate the royal widow the young king of england too had expressly recommended us by my lord perth to take every possible precaution to prevent the queen his mother from having the slightest idea of the time of its arrival but the sympathy of the queen defeated all our precautions the late king had good reason to say to his august spouse that she was flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone for when death had rendered his body insensible of the wound the queen had felt all the pain in her own living frame and this was the more to be remarked since she knew nothing of what was then doing the good sister of Chalot, being of a marvellous temperament has made a miracle of a coincidence very easy to be accounted for by natural causes the poor queen has scarcely closed her eyes in sleep for upwards of a fortnight during which time she was in a state of most distressing excitement while the occasional deceptive amendments in the king's symptoms by kindling the hope that keeps alive despair had added the tortures of suspense to her other sufferings and kept her nerves on a perpetual stretch everyone knows the distressing sensations that attend the first perturbed slumbers into which exhausted nature sinks after either nurse or patient has passed many nights of continuous vigils early on the sunday morning the queen asked many questions which the nuns considered a confirmation of the presentiment she had had of the arrival of the heart of her departed lord she said she knew that it was near her and at last they acknowledged that it was already enshrined in their tribune near that of the queen his mother she spoke much and eloquently that day of james she said that he had felt his humiliation and above all the injustice he had experienced very keenly but that his love of god had changed all his calamities into blessings she compared him to saint stephen who saw the heavens open while they were stoning him while the queen was at chalot they read to her some passages from the life of the reverend mother anne-marie d'epernon the superior of the great carmelite convent at paris who had recently departed this life with a great reputation for sanctity. Her majesty had been well acquainted with this religieuse, whom both the late king and herself had accustomed to visit and held in great esteem. Mary Beatrice appeared much interested in the records of her departed friend, who, before she took the habit, had refused the hand of the king of Poland and preferred a life of religious retirement to being a queen. Ah, exclaimed the royal widow. She was right, No one can doubt the wisdom of the choice when we are at liberty to make it. Her Majesty told the community that she had herself passionately desired to take the veil, and that it was only in compliance with her mother's commands that she had consented to marry her late lord. If it were not for the sake of her children, she said, she would now wish to finish her days at Chalot. Other duties awaited her. The King of France had commanded the exempt of the guard of honor, by whom her majesty was escorted to chalot and who remained on duty during her stay not to admit any persons whatsoever to intrude upon her grief during her retirement there not even the princesses of the blood though adelaide duchess of burgundy stood to her and king james in the near relation of great-niece this order was so strictly obeyed that even the cardinal Noailles was refused admittance though the queen had a great wish to see him When his eminence was informed of this, he returned, and they had a long conference. On the third day after her arrival, being Monday, Mary Beatrice assumed the habit of a widow. And while they were thus arraying her, continues our good nun, her majesty, observing that I was trying to look through her eyes into her soul, to see what effect this dismal dress had on her mind, assured me that these lugubrious trappings gave her no pain because they were in unison with her own feelings and that it would have been very distressing to her to have dressed otherwise or indeed ever to change that dress for the rest of my life said her majesty i shall never wear anything but black i have long ago renounced all vanities and worn nothing in the way of dress but what was absolutely necessary and god knows that i have not put on decorations except in cases where I was compelled to do so, or in my early youth. When the melancholy toilet of Mary Beatrice was fully completed, and she was dressed for the first time in widow's weeds, she seated herself in a fauteuil, and all the ladies in the convent were permitted to enter, to offer her their homage and condolences. But everyone was in tears, and not a word was spoken, for the queen sat silent and motionless as a statue, with her eyes fixed on vacancy, apparently too much absorbed in her own unspeakable grief to be conscious of anything i had the boldness says our simple nun to place the crucifix where her majesty's regards were absently directed and soon all her attention was centred on that model of patience and suffering after a quarter of an hour i approached to give her an account of a commission with which she had charged me she asked what hour it was i told her that it was half past four o'clock and her carriages were come, that the community were waiting in the gallery, and a chair and porters were in attendance to convey her to her coach. She rose and said, I have a visit to make before I go. Then bursting into a passion of tears, she cried, I will go and pay my duty to the heart of my good king. It is here, I feel that it is, and nothing shall stop me from going to it. It is a relic that I have given you, and I must be allowed to venerate it. The more enlightened tastes of the present age incline us to condemn as childish and superstitious this fond weakness of an impassioned lover in thus clinging to a portion of the earthly tabernacle of the beloved after his spirit had returned to god who gave it but it was a characteristic trait both of the times the religion and the enthusiastic temperament of the countrywoman of petrarch of ariosto and tasso everyone in the church of st marie de chalot at any rate sympathized with her and felt the tragic excitement of the scene when the disconsolate widow of james the second in her sable weeds covered with her large black veil and preceded by the nuns singing the de profundis approached the tribune where the heart of her beloved consort was enshrined in a gold and vermeil vase she bowed her head clasped her hands together knelt and kissed the urn across the black crape that covered it and after a silent prayer rose and having asperged it with holy water without a tear or sigh turned about in silence to retire apparently with great firmness but before she made four steps from the spot she fell into a fainting fit which caused us continues the recording nun some fears for her life when at last she recovered she was by the order of her confessor placed in a chair and so carried to her coach It was impossible for her to stay longer at Chalot, because the young prince and princess, her children, had need of her presence at Germain. We have seen all this with our own eyes, observes the nun in conclusion. And the queen herself confirms what we have said here, as our mother and all the community judged it proper, that an exact and faithful narrative of the whole should be made, to the end that it might be kept as a perpetual memorial in our archives, and for those who may come after us. Mary Beatrice returned to her desolate palace at Saint-Germain on Monday, September 19th, in the evening, where the prince and princess rejoined her from Paris, and a tender reunion took place between the sorrowful family and their faithful adherents the next day louis the fourteenth came in state to pay his visits of condolence to the royal mother and son the widowed queen received him in her darkened chamber hung with black lying on her bed of mourning according to the custom of the french queens louis said everything he could to mitigate her affliction and comforted her with the assurances of his protection to her and her son william's ambassador who kept a jealous eye on all the proceedings of the french sovereign with regard to the widow of james the second and her son gives the following notices in his reports to his own court which supplies some authentic information touching this important epoch. on the twenty fourth of september he says i did not go to versailles yesterday i was satisfied that the whole discourse would be of their new roi d'angleterre and of the king's going to make him the first visit at st germain which he did that day He stayed but little with him, giving him the title of majesty. He was with the queen a considerable time. The rest of the court made their compliments the same day. September 23rd, the French king made the P, the prince, the first visit. The next day, the P or prince, returned the visit at Versailles. All the ceremonies passed to the entire satisfaction of those at Saint-Germain, and in the same manner as it was observed with the late king. September 24th. I can perceive from Monsieur de Torcy that the French king was brought to do this at the solicitation of the Queen at Saint-Germain. It is certain that Monsieur de Torcy, as well as the rest of the ministers, was against it, and only the Dauphin and Madame de Maintenon, whom the Queen had prevailed with, carried this point, which I am satisfied they may have reason to repent of. September 26th the will of the late king james is opened but not yet published but i hear it is to be printed what i have learned of it is that the queen is made regent the french king is desired to take the care of the education of the P or prince that in case he be restored the queen is to be repaid all that she has laid out of her own that all other debts which they had contracted since they left england and what can be made out shall be paid that the new king shall not take any revenge against his father's enemies nor his own that he shall not use any forces in matters of religion or in relation to the estates of any persons whatsoever he recommends to him all those that have followed him i am told that lord perth is declared a duke and karl a lord the information touching the will of king james was true as far as regards the power given to mary beatrice but this document was dated as far back as november seventeenth sixteen eighty eight having been made by him after the landing of the prince of orange when he was on the eve of leaving london to join the army at salisbury by that document he bequeaths his soul to god in the confident assurance of eternal salvation through the merits and intercession of our blessed savior jesus christ without a word of the virgin mary or any other saint our body he says we commit to the earth and it is our will that the same be privately interred in our royal chapel called henry the chapel after mentioning the settlements which he had made first as duke of york out of his personal property and afterwards when king as a provision for his entirely beloved consort queen mary he constitutes his dear son prince james his sole heir both of his three kingdoms and his personal property with the exception of certain jewels plate household furniture equipages and horses which are left to the royal widow and we will and appoint that our said dearest consort continues his majesty have the sole governance tuition and guardianship of our said dear son till he shall have fully completed the fourteenth year of his age it is a curious fact that james after thus constituting mary beatrice as the guardian of their son and executrix of his last will and testament appoints a council to assist her in this high and responsible charge composed of the persons in whom he at that date reposed the most especial trust and confidence and at the head of this list stood uncancelled the name of his son-in-law prince george of denmark the duke of newcastle the earl of nottingham the duke of queensbury cromwell's son-in-law Viscount count Falkenberg and lord godolphin are there united with the names of some of the most devoted of James's friends, who, with their families, followed him into exile, the true-hearted Earl of Lindsay, the Marquis of Powis, the Earls of Perth and Middleton, and Sir Thomas Strickland, besides several of those who played a doubtful part in their struggle, and others, both friend and foe, who had gone to their great account, before the weary spirit of the last of the Stuart kings was released from its earthly troubles in virtue of this will the only one ever made by james the second mary beatrice was recognized by the court and council of her deceased lord at st germain as the acting guardian of the prince their son and took upon herself the title of queen regent of great britain she was treated by louis the fourteenth and his ministers with the same state and ceremony as if she had been invested with this office in the only legal way by the parliament of this realm End of section 29.